millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan. And here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Well, moving house and the impact on children. Families have to move house for a range of reasons, both positive and negative. Recent research from the University of Otago has found moving houses linked with increases in emotional and behavioural difficulties in four-year-olds. Psychologist Saab Johal says moving home is a major life event and for children often means moving school as well. He's with us to talk about the impact and how parents can help. Good morning, Saab. Kia ora, Catherine. Why so disruptive, particularly for children? Is it that physical security that the house represents and the house they know? I think it's a lot of different things. And one of the things I'd like to think about first is the frame that we're talking about this in. Often it's talked about in terms of residential mobility, which kind of has this kind of nice picture of people moving to better things. And actually what we're talking about here is residential instability. And so that's all sorts of different things may cause that. And often it's perhaps a change in the family structure. Perhaps it's a a parental separation. Or perhaps it's a, a good reason. People are moving for jobs and perhaps they have a kind of a job where they have to move quite a lot. Now, that's disruptive not only for the family home uh, in terms of the physical part of that, but also how does the family work within that home? But also we're thinking about what are children's lives like? Okay, so at the younger end of the scale with preschoolers, it's often about the relationships that they might have at kindy. But it's also things like healthcare and making sure that they're in touch with a regular health provider, whatever that is, but also the parents too. And as we move up the scale, we're thinking about schools, but then we're also thinking about the importance of peer relationships and how these become more important in children's lives as they move on to becoming teenagers and young adults. So it's complex. And if we're thinking about how people move. Often there's a choice involved in that, or perhaps there's no choice involved in that. So we have to think about how much is it of their own volition that they're having to move, or perhaps they're in insecure housing and they don't have security of tenure, which means that they're constantly moving. And what we know in New Zealand is that actually we have a very high residential mobility rate compared to other countries. If you're looking at the UK, you're looking at around about 40% perhaps year on year. In New Zealand, we're looking more like 50 to 60, perhaps higher. And in this Otago study, we're looking at two thirds of parents were moving within any one year uh, over, over this period of time. I'm just trying to get my head around that. Two thirds of households were moving? Yeah. Was that a representative sample or was it a... It was a um, I just find that an extraordinary figure. It tallies with other studies done in New Zealand as well. So the Growing Up in New Zealand study came up with similar figures. You're looking at a a really high churn rate of people moving. It doesn't include people who um, regrettably often for for, for, um, negative reasons find themselves having to move two or three times a year. Does that inflate the figure? I think there are different ways of counting it, but I think that actually it seems to settle on us having a really high rate. So if you look at um, 
was at 51% of the population reporting a change of address between 2001 and 2006. And that was from uh, one of the uh, big sort of studies that were done in in New Zealand. And that seems to be continued. That's a five-year period. So if we're looking at um, the before school check age group, so that first four years in life, we're looking at 69% of those parents surveyed in this study were changing, and that seems to be fairly representative. Okay. And that's a time of life where a lot can be happening, of course. Um, I, I imagine there are times of life where people, it's more static, and times of life where there's a higher mobility. So for whatever reasons, it tends to be a time of high mobility with young children. It does, but that doesn't mean it's just these families. I think across the board, mm. we have a high okay. rate of residential mobility in New okay. Zealand. What did we learn from the research itself? What we will learn from this particular piece of research is that there seems to be a dose-response relationship with the amount of times that you move and the number of concerns, clinical concerns, that are apparent for these children as they go through these first four years of life. And it seems to be particularly risky for ages two to four and for those families that are moving more than 10 kilometres and also to residentially poorer neighbourhoods, so socially deprived neighbourhoods. Now, the reason why that's important is that if you're moving 10 kilometres, you're more likely to have all sorts of changes going on in your life, like kindy, preschool, school, all all that kind of stuff, but also changing health providers too. So making sure that you've got things like consistency of healthcare oversight of to what's going on and education as well for those parents around certain things that they should or should not be doing. There's one study that's been done around um, looking at Māori, parents of Māori backgrounds and their participation in sudden infant uh, death syndrome and they dropped out, a third of them dropped out and they didn't can't quite know why but they think it's something to do with their transients and the, the fact that they're moving quite a lot. How does this affect children of different ages? This, I mean, you see the world differently when you're that young, don't you? We have more of an overview as adults. We carry around in our minds a mental picture of the world that is much more comprehensive. When you're little, your home and your school and the people in it and around it, and there's the, the limited you know, number of places that, that, that you um, spend most of your time are your world, right? As well as whatever's on a gadget, I suppose, or, or a book. And does that itself explain, let alone the developmental stage, age and stage, but is that as much as anything explain how big an upheaval it is? It's like I've gone to another planet. Yes. And I think that we are in danger of discounting that uh, with our adult eyes on this, uh, just how big an upheaval this can be for small children. And, And as they go through the age group as well, moving home is a major life event. And what it does is that it reduces the predictability of that child's environment. Now, for younger children, perhaps where they're starting to kind of get the idea that they're separating from the parent, the parent is not them, they're not the parent, uh, and they're in preschool and they're getting used to authority figures, new different authority figures who can tell them what to do and they have to kind of listen to them. All of that gets disrupted as you move into a new environment and that can lead to a regression in behaviour into a a sort of like an earlier, more dependent state. But if you go up the age child, uh, up the scale of the age of the child, then it presents different problems for that child. So it may be around friendships. You know, friendships get disrupted. And these are really, really important to to young children around how they um, negotiate 
their way around the world, their allies uh, in the world and how they're dealing with it in, in their school relationships, but also outside of school too. So the more that these get disrupted, the more we have to be mindful around how do we protect these relationships. We don't exactly know the mechanism as to why these moves are so impactful on children's lives. But we do know that it's probably something to do with social relationships and social capital. But how that plays out, we're not exactly sure yet. It's the same old story. It's how life gets faster when you're older. Um, you know, we've had long lives and a lot of friendships and a lot of changes, and, and we know the routine about losing some people and, and growing new people in your life. But when you're little and you've, you've had that best friend for nearly half your life, it's a big deal. Yeah. We don't have the depth. We don't have the breadth of those networks of relationships that mm. we can call upon when we're little. But they're also far more meaningful when you're little. Okay, So it's not just about friends. It's also about wider whānau that we have access to. So it might be the uncle or the aunt or the family friend who is called uncle or aunt or your grandparents that perhaps, you know, that 10-kilometre move makes it more difficult for you to actually have physical contact with them because of buses or public transport or or whatever it is that the barrier might be. So what is your advice for, I guess in the first instance, not underestimating the impact and then secondly, what you can do to help? Sure. So yes, Thinking about the impact, I don't want people to think it's just about younger children because there is evidence to show that it's about teenagers too. There's um, an interesting study that was done in Denmark. Now, Denmark has an interesting way of kind of being able to access their data. Basically, researchers can access everything about anyone uh, who was growing up in in Denmark. So they did a longitudinal study of everybody born between 1971 and 1997. And what they found was that um, there was a group of youngsters most likely to feel the ill effects of moving, and they were kids in early adolescence, between 12 and 14. And that put them at risk for mental health problems and perhaps even suicide risk that was higher than those people who didn't move as much, and that went on into middle adulthood. Okay, so it's, it's important. So thinking about what can we do about it then, we really need to be thinking about what say does a child have when they're moving to a new environment? What level of agency do they have? And how can we facilitate them to be able to stay in contact with those relationships that are meaningful and important in their lives? Pick up, please. So thinking about explaining to your child why the move is necessary. You know, why are you uprooting me from this life that I have and how are you going to tell me that it's going to be better for me? So really trying to spell out the advantages as much as possible and that might be going to that new area so that they feel more familiar so it's not just being plonked straight into a new strange environment. And when you have moved, making sure that you're able to be involved with the child in their new activities so you're supporting them to do that. You're not just enabling them Uh, to do it by putting them in the environment, but you're providing the scaffolding so that they are able to navigate in this new environment. Because remember, the child is probably going to revert back down to an earlier developmental age where they're going to need a little bit more assistance than perhaps you've become used to providing them. So how might you do that in practice? I mean, is it just, what's the scaffolding made up of? So if you're thinking about changing home and you end up having to change school too, you may want to think about how is it that you might want to make sure that those two things aren't perhaps happening together. So if it's possible for you to perhaps make sure that that child continues 
in that old school until at least the end of the term so that they have some chance of being able to have some anchor in their lives so that they're not completely uprooted in all areas of their lives. So really thinking about when you are moving, I think about it in terms of not just picking up both feet and jumping, but actually stepping and keeping one foot rooted in what it is that you had as you tread gently and put more and more weight on the new place and the, the foot that's now in that new place. That might apply to sports teams. Instead of hauling someone out of a club or a, you know, a, a, a sports team that they've been associated with, it gets tricky with school, I know, but, but or, or a ballet class or some activity that you're probably going to let go of because you've moved, but perhaps make the effort to keep it running for a while. Yeah, absolutely, because that's part of, and it's not just the activity, but it's the whole social network Mm -hmm. and the routine as well. It's the thing that I do on a Wednesday night. I want my Wednesday night thing to continue. It's a really important anchor for me. You're going from this swimming club to that swimming club, but we're going to leave you in this swimming club for a little bit longer. It might mean some more logistical maneuvering but is it worth it it is worth it i I would say because what you're doing is that you're you're taking the emphasis off the activity the activity is important but it's the social part of the activity that becomes really critical as people move from one circumstance to another you mentioned how much say do children have are you meaning in how this happens yeah how this happens um, but also their agency and controlling things like, you know, what happens to their room, what happens to their stuff. Now, I remember moving with my daughter, moving house. And one of the things that we agreed was that we would do a floor plan of her room and we would replicate the floor plan of her room in her new room. So it felt like it was the same stuff in the same place, different house. But she felt familiar because what she was worried about was getting up at night and not knowing what to do and what not knowing where to go. She was quite young at this stage. So she needed to know where the door was in relation to the bed so that she could get out of the room to go to the toilet. So it's not something that's really obvious, but it's something that unless you have that conversation with your child, you won't know what it is that they're worried about. You mentioned something else as well, which is there are particular impacts when they're perhaps moving, when people are moving into a a lower socioeconomic um, um, neighbourhood, but it, it also could be, look, we've had to move into a smaller place, we've had to move into a smaller flat and they feel like they've lost something and is this where you need to be aware there'll be some emotions or some reactions that you have to show some tolerance for? Yeah, and the reality is that situation may well be true. I hate our new place, I yeah. hate it or I hate my new room, it's so much smaller or whatever and you yeah. know. So acknowledging and hearing that is important before you move on to solutions. Because the danger is to, okay, what can we do to make it better? Because I don't really want to hear this because this is painful for me to hear. But you need to make room for, for you to have that conversation with your child and to acknowledge the pain that may be caused by moving before we can move on to solutions because otherwise the pain comes back because it feels like it's not been heard. How much do you explain why you've had to move sometimes? And this may be um, obvious on the outside because, you know, you and your mother or you and your father or, or um, I, me and my, your father and me... Because parents are split up. Yes. Or because there's a financial pressure or because a rental agreement's run out. Do you want to be wary of involving people of different ages enough in understanding why something's happened, but not so much that they become the burden bearer? Yeah, and I think that's really important, a really important point, because what we don't want to do is to overburden children and young people with stuff that they perhaps could know I can't make or don't ends need to I can't know. make ends meet each week or, or, or whatever. But what, what, what? how do you couch conversations honestly and age appropriately. Yeah. 
And, and I think that um, it's there's no easy answer to that. But I think that what one needs to do is perhaps err on the side of caution and not giving too much information, but leaving the window open such that we can have further conversations. Is that okay for you right now? Or is there something else that you perhaps want to know or talk about? And then gradually perhaps including more information as the child gets older. But the reality is, is that kids talk and kids talk to each other. So often you have to kind of arm your kid, your child, for conversations that may be happening in the playground. There's suddenly a new kid that's turned up in a class. There's going to be questions. And your child needs to know what it is that they're going to say in that situation. And that might be their biggest worry. How am I going to explain to my friends that I'm leaving? How am I going to explain to the new kids who I am and why I'm here? You mentioned people can underestimate the impact for teens. In some ways, is that because it is a particularly potent time for their relationships and friendships, or are there other things at play as well? Um, I think one of the things to remember about kids is that often their influences, their main influences, start moving towards their peers rather than their parental relationship. So that becomes really critical in terms of maintaining those relationships. Uh, and some of them may be intimate um, partner relationships, and otherwise it may be just peer group that they hang out with or share interests with. And I think one of the things is that they become less visible to us as parents. Because they're more independent, we may not necessarily see that for all it is or understand quite how important that is. And it's, it's easy for us to discount that uh, and move on with life rather than perhaps lingering and pausing and making sure that perhaps that child, that young person would really rather just be where they were in the first place. In which case, you might want to think about, is there a family? that you might want to have them stay with during school holidays so that they can perhaps maintain a bit more than a Saturday afternoon out at the mall or catching up with them in the park and have a bit more of a depth of connection with that previously close peer group that it's they It's not have. moving house, really. It's moving life is what you're alluding to, isn't it? And, and being aware to, uh, as it is for, you, for, you, for yourself as the parent, but being aware that every area that they've got invested in, whether it's their bedroom through to their friendships, is going to be impacted by it. And that's probably got a, cum a cumulative effect on, on behaviour as, as much as anything else. You talk about how they might regress for a while. How long till you can expect things to settle down and they'll come back you know, to some of the behaviours um, that they had reached before the shift? I think your child will show you. Uh, and that's the that's the hard answer here is that um, as the stability increases and their feeling of not being quite so rocked up and down in their life and things start to become more predictable and there's more of a routine, then behavior then will start to revert to normal and there becomes more space and less work around trying to understand what's going on and more space is available for that child to start making new relationships and start moving forward again. There's a question that's unrelated, but I might just pop it to you for an initial um, comment as well, seeing someone has taken the effort to send it in. My nine-year-old daughter's always been calm and typically an easy child. However, in the last two months, she's been extremely hard work. She often has huge tantrums over the littlest things and just seems angry a lot. Is there some hormone surge around nine years that could have contributed to her mood change. All seems fine at school with friendships. We've had no changes at home. Um, so it's hard to work out why her mood has changed so much in the last two months. Mm, yeah, it's hard to know. But um, what we do know is that, um, you know, it's kind of like on the early edge, but um, puberty 
for girls will start happening at around this age for many. It tends to be a little bit later on. But what we have seen getting in younger, modern trends is it? getting younger. Mm-hmm. So that might be a possibility and understanding a little bit more and perhaps talking with your child around, have you noticed this too? Is this something that you've, you've, you've worried, worried about? Um, maybe that's the first point of the conversation. If all the external stuff seems not to have changed, it's possibly something internal that's going on for that child. And while it is at the younger end of the range, it's by no means, it, it, it is well within range now oh, for, yeah. for when puberty is beginning in girls. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Saab. Thanks very much, Saab Johal. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.